0: If you've been following us over the last five weeks, we've been in a study titled The Heart of Kings. We've been looking at King Saul and King David. We've seen that King Saul went psychotically mad. The man went crazy. He became uh, just possessive of everything, paranoid of everything. And last week he died on the battlefield fighting for his own glory. And during that time, David, who had been anointed king, had been running like a slave he had been running like a slave that escaped and his master was seeking to hunt him down and take his life from about the age of 20 years old david spent nearly 10 years running in cave from cave to cave sleeping at night hearing the dogs barking that were hunting for his life and 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 wondering each and every day is this going to be the day that Saul catches me and hunts me down We know those days as David's pre-king days. But David didn't know them as that. For all David knew, he was going to spend forever running and hiding in caves. And yet he was faithful to God. He refused to fight against Saul and take Saul's life on two different occasions when he could have. And we read today, "...So David reigned over all Israel." I am here to tell you this morning that when God has decreed a thing, it will always come to pass. There will come a time when the kingdom finally comes. And in David's life, the kingdom had finally come. When it looked to the whole world like this man's never going to make it to the throne. When it looked to the whole world like, well, maybe God didn't really say... When it looked to the whole world like Saul was going to hunt him down and eventually take his life, we read today in the Word of God that David reigned just like God told David that he was going to reign. And I'm here to tell you that it has application to the church today and to each and every one of us individually in our lives. First of all, to the church. Our King is coming, brothers and sisters. If you are a bloodbot. Born again, child of God this morning, our King is going to return. Jesus said that He would come back and take us to where He is in John chapter 14. He said, do not be afraid. And I'm telling you, He's setting up a kingdom. And one day, the children of God will live there and we will reign forevermore. The world might look on and say, the church is weak. The world might look on and say, where is your God? The world might look on and say, you guys have got your backs to the wall and you live in your lives in caves. But this preacher's here to tell you this morning, this says the Word of God. He's going to return on the clouds of glory. He's going to take us all home and we'll live forever in that place that we call heaven where there'll be no sickness, there'll be no death, there'll be no pain. We'll worship Him freely forevermore. He will accomplish what He says He's going to accomplish, and the kingdom will come. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God this morning. It's going to happen. You hang on. You be faithful. Sometimes it looks like your back's against the wall. Sometimes it looks like, man, is this really where God wants us to be? Don't give up on God this morning. It has application to the church as a whole, but it has application to us as individuals as well. You need to understand something about Christian living. David had to go through the wilderness before his kingdom was ever secured. Jesus went through the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, John chapter 4, wherever it is. Got it mixed up last week too. Matthew chapter 4, I believe. Jesus was tested in the wilderness 40 days. We see that before the children of Israel made it into the promised land, what did they do? They went through the wilderness. I'm telling you, there is a time of wilderness testing in all of our lives. It's really in the wilderness where you'll find out what your faith is made of. It's very easy to praise God on the mountain. It's very easy to praise God when all is good. It's very easy to praise God when everything makes sense. But when you're in the wilderness like David was, when you're in that place and you're thinking, I got saved, I gave my heart to God, and I believe God, and I love God, and I want to serve God, but everything's not working like you think it should, and you prayed for this thing, it hadn't worked out yet, you thought God was going to work in this area, and it hadn't worked out yet, and you're confused, and you're thinking, well, is this really worth being faithful to God? Listen to the preacher this morning, it is worth being faithful to God, and God will accomplish what He started in your life. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right, don't get your eyes on anything else but on Jesus Christ. You stay faithful to God. You stay committed to God just like David did in the caves. He was faithful to God. The Psalms, they came from from David's time in the cave. And he wrote and he glorified God even in the midst of his pain and his suffering. And one day, his kingdom comes. The same is true for us, child of God. God wants each and every one of us to reign as sons and daughters of God. God wants his children, you, my friend if you are if you are saved this morning if you if you are saved this morning, if you are a son of God, a daughter of God, God wants you to reign in this world. He wants the world to look at you and be able to see this here is a child of God who walks in the favor of God, who walks in the power of God, who walks in the blessings of God, and i 'm not talking this world 's necessarily view of what Of what success looks like. I'm talking the ability to rise above storms. I'm talking the ability to grab a hold of the joy that is unspeakable. I'm talking about the ability to live in a regular way in the peace that surpasses understanding. I'm talking about reigning as kings and queens who, like the Apostle Paul, can say, I know what it is to be through all things, to be poor, to be rich, to be, to be healthy, to be sick, to be hurt, to be fine. And yet, in all things, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am, for I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens." This is the will of God for each and every one of you here this morning to learn to live that victorious Christian life. The preacher will tell you this morning, sometimes you've got to go through the wilderness to get there. It's in that wilderness where we learn what our faith is really made of. How long are you willing to trust God? David had to do it for ten years before the kingdom came, but it eventually came. David reigned over all Israel. In chapter 9 and verse 1, David said to himself, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Right now in David's life, all is well. It has never been as good as it is today in David's life. He has not lost a battle. He is on the throne. He has not only been given the throne by God, but David has won the hearts of the people. He is the most famed and respected king that has ever walked the earth in that particular piece of land. He rules over 60,000 square miles. Everything is good. Now, I want you to see something. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. What was David thinking about? When all was good, when all was well, when he was winning every battle he ever fought, David wasn't just thinking about himself. David wasn't just thinking, I'm the most greatest triumphant king there's ever been. David wasn't just thinking, how much more land can I think? David's mind went back to his friend Jonathan. And David's mind went back and he said, is there anyone of the house of Saul who I can show kindness to? I want you to think for Jonathan's sake. I want you to think about something. The house of Saul was a wicked house The house of Saul sought to kill David for ten years. The house of Saul had waged war against David, just like this world has waged war against Christ Jesus. And yet David said, is there anybody of that house that I can show kindness to? She said the Scripture earlier, God showed His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm telling you, David was a man after God's own heart. And This morning, God is thinking of you. God is thinking of me. God is concerned with each and every one of us. And His thoughts towards us are overwhelming. God, the Creator God of the universe, the One who oversees everything, the One who holds this world and the universe together by the power of His will and His Word, He is thinking of you this morning. You don't believe it? Look at me with Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. Psalm 139. Verse 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. Listen to this. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He said, if I counted your thoughts towards me, they would be more than the number of the sand. David asked a question. He thought these things many times. He said, what is man that you're mindful of him, O God? But the reality is God is mindful of us. He didn't say, God, what are your thoughts towards us, towards all of your people, but towards me, towards me, the single individual person. Your thoughts towards me are more than all the sand on the seashore. Do you realize you're that important to God this morning? If you don't feel that important to God, the devil's got you blinded. The devil wants you to think God doesn't care about you. You're not important to God. You've messed up too much for God to really care about you. God's turned His thoughts somewhere else. God's thinking about someone else now. God's looking for someone else to do His work. I'm telling you this morning, God has not forgotten you. He thinks about you every day, every second of every minute of every hour of day. He is the God. The Bible says that sleeps not. He does not slumber. And even while like you're sleeping at night, God is thinking of you. How great are His thoughts towards us. Isn't it great this morning, child of God, to know that our King is thinking of us, that He wants to show us love and compassion, that He wants to do us good, that He has thoughts towards us, that that He can have His will in our life. that He can be glorified through us, and that He thinks of us more than all the sand on the shores. My goodness, you're important this morning to God. You are so important to Him. Nobody's ever loved you like God. I don't care how in love you are with your spouse, how much you love your children, nobody has ever loved you like God loves you. He thinks about you. David thought, is there anyone else that I can show kindness to? For Jonathan's sake. He gets word that there is somebody. Somebody. In verse 3, the last sentence, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. There's a son of Jonathan. You remember, Jonathan was David's friend. Jonathan was close to David. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 17, you don't need to turn there, but in that verse... Before Jonathan had died, Jonathan and David had made agreement that when David became king, Jonathan would basically be his right-hand man. They believed that they were going to reign together. And tragically, Jonathan died on the battlefield of his father. And if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 5, what you'll find out is, is that in those days they didn't have telephones, they didn't have text message, they didn't have email. They sent messengers. And a messenger arrived at the home where the caretaker was taking care of Jonathan's five-year-old boy. His name was Mephibosheth. And the caretaker busts in and he says, Jonathan's dead. Saul is dead. His uncles are dead. They have died on the battlefield. And for fear of the boy's life, they made haste to get out of there. And somewhere in that instance, the Bible tells us that the caretaker picked up that five-year-old boy. And began to run with him and tripped and fell and broke something in that boy that caused him to be lame from the legs down the rest of his life. Mephibosheth's stories is a sad story. His his disease, his infirmity, it was not his fault. It was the fault of someone else. And, And in some ways, it was the fault of his father, the fault of his grandfather, Saul. It was inherited for simply being part of the family of Saul. It's like each and every one of us concerning spiritual things in God. You can't walk for God. You can't even see God. You can't hear God. It is like we are totally and completely incapable because of the fall of man. We are born, as was Mephibosheth, into a rejected family. A family that is hostile against God. We are born sinners. We don't have to be taught how to lie. We don't have to be taught how to steal. We don't have to be taught how to be selfish. We just are instinctively because we are born of the house of Adam. We've experienced a fall, but was not really our fault. This was Mephibosheth's situation. And David, the man after God's own heart, he hears about this Mephibosheth. He says, where is he? And the person who knows about his whereabouts says, well, he lives in the land of Lodabar. Lodabar was a place that Mephibosheth had moved because more than likely no one would ever find him there. It was, it was, a, it was a barren wilderness that nobody would ever want to live there. Kind of like Hayesville. <laughs> Just kidding, my Hayesville friends. Listen, Lodabar, it was a place, it literally means, if you want to know the actual term, Lodabar, it means no pasture. It wasn't a good place to raise sheep, wasn't a good place to raise cattle, wasn't a good place. And in those days and times, you, you had to have those types of things for a living. I mean, it was a barren wasteland. That's what Lodabar was. See, Mephibosheth moved there because more than likely he could hide out there and never be found, as we find was the case. In this story, if you read on, you'll find out he actually had children, Mephibosheth did, so he'd been there a while. This, this, this is some time down the road from when he actually fell and was hurt. And for years he lived in this place of no pasture. You know, it's a perfect representation of the life of the sinner. Wandering to and fro. No pasture. Nothing to drink to satisfy the soul. Nothing to eat to give strength to the soul. Just wandering from place to place, trying promiscuity, trying to fulfill the lust of the flesh, trying to fulfill the lust of the eyes, that that vanity of wanting more and more, trying to fulfill the pride of life, the desire for people to think that you're great and, and significant. Just going from one pasture to the another and finding there's nothing here. It looks great and it looks wonderful and it looks like it will supply life. And you take it and it turns to gravel in your mouth. You put it in your mouth to drink and it turns bitter and you want to spit it out. It is the way of this world. It is sin on every corner. It's the life of the man or woman of God who has not truly come to the King yet. The life of no pasture. He was missing the best. Can I say this morning that many Christians are missing the best. It breaks my heart when I see Christians who have who have come to a saving faith. They believe in God for salvation. And in many ways, they're faithful in their life. But they it's like they try to live with one foot in and one foot out. They're not totally convinced that being all in for God, that turning from all things of this world and sin are, are going to be beneficial. So they try to kind of do both. It's a miserable existence. And they think to themselves... Well, it's miserable because God's not blessing me. If God would bless me, I would let go and just go all in. No, you wouldn't. It doesn't work that way. I think about, matter of fact, uh, look at a passage with me. um, John chapter 15. I'm being fast this morning. I'm almost done already. Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus said, I've spoke these things to you so that you will be full of joy. Now, listen, that is the goal for the Christian to walk in the fullness of joy. But what does He say in verse 10? What are the things Jesus is speaking about? If, that's a big word, if you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see, the fullness of joy is connected to the holiness of the Christian life. The devil wants you to think that if you just surrender and totally turn over to God, it's going to be boring. It's going to be a ball and chain. It's not going to be fun. That is such a lie. There is nothing greater than living God's will for your life. It's what you were created for. You were made by Him and for Him. I'm here to tell you this morning, His thoughts towards you are more than all the sand on the earth. He loves you with a perfect love and His will for your life will be the most fulfilling, meaningful thing you could ever experience. And it's in being willing to obey Him, follow Him, that we experience the fullness of joy. It's when we refuse to do that, we want to straddle the fence, that we don't have joy anywhere. It's not really fun anymore in the world, if you're honest with your heart. If that's you this morning, I'm preaching to you, you'll find this. That when you put one foot over here in the world and you kind of hold on to the old ways, it do not satisfy you anymore. It's not fun anymore. You'll find that really, if you do it long enough, it'll make you angry. You've just got to surrender to God completely and totally. In verse 5, King David sent and brought him out. Can I tell you this morning, we would have perished without God's help. Mephibosheth comes to David and David says to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather and you shall eat bread at my table continually." What a beautiful picture of what God wants to do with each and every one of us. Listen to me this morning. God doesn't just want to bring you up out of your mess. That's part of it. But I'm telling you, He doesn't just want to bring you up out of your mess. He wants to bring you up out of your mess, restore to you what you were created to be, to let you eat at His table continually, the Word of God tells us, God wants you to reign. He wants you to to live in the fullness of joy. He wants you to experience the blessing of being His son or His daughter. He did not just save you to come up out of a mess and live a, 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 a meager life. Of existence until He returns. No, He wants you to learn how to eat at His table each and every day. He wants you to live in the joy that He gives. He wants you to take the bread that He gives you to feed. He wants you to drink of the water that wells up, as a well of life, a river of life in you that flows out of you. He wants you to have the best. And He died so that you could have it. In verse 13, Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. For he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. There are some things that God heals us of on the other side. But that doesn't mean you still can't pull up and eat at the king's table this morning. God wants us to eat at His table. He wants to eat at His table now and forevermore. As our worship team comes and prepares a song of invitation. This morning, are you eating at the king's table? You see, as Christians, we are eventually going to be caught up out of this world and we're going to be with Him forever. And there will be a great supper. But I want you to understand this morning that there is a supper to be had today. There is a drink to be had today. There is a longing of your soul that God wants to meet today. And God wants you to eat at His table continually, not just one day, not just down the road. God wants you to pull up to His table and to sup with Him and to have Him meet every one of your needs. The kingdom's finally come. Jesus died to set us free. He cried out on that cross, It's finished. Everything that needed to be done for God to bless you and me freely, Jesus said, It's finished. Come unto me. This morning, if you're lost and you need to be saved, would you be willing to come? To kneel before The Lord on your knees and just acknowledge, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am not right with you. And I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to come into me, Lord. And from this day forward, I will turn from my old ways and follow you. If you have not done that, if you have not made that decision, I plead with you this morning, make that decision today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian. But you haven't been feasting at the Father's table. God wants you to feast at His table continually. Maybe you haven't been experiencing the fullness of His joy. The holiness of God and your willingness to live the holy life God created you to live is connected to the joy God wants you to have. Maybe there are just some things in your life this morning you need to repent and say, "God, you're my king. I don't need to be under anybody's table but yours. I don't need to be pulled up at anybody's feast but yours. God, you're everything I need. Father, move all across this room in Jesus' name. If there's a need, God deal with hearts. So you thought you had.